to InvestingForEternity.com radio, American History, Part 3. While Lincoln and company were seizing control of civil government and consolidating its power in Washington, D.C., Horace Mann and other progressives were centralizing control of education to ensure that future generations of Americans would not revolt against their slave masters. Education can and should be handled locally and privately. The only party benefiting from the current state and national American education systems is the ruling criminal kleptocracy known as the Whore of Babylon in the Bible, which needs to keep the masses brainwashed and unaware of the fact that their liberty and wealth is being systematically stolen. This criminal kleptocracy, or whore, first gains control of money, which in turn allows her to control religion, civil government, and education, the other three critical spheres which govern all societies. Control is gained in the latter spheres by rewarding cooperative parties with promotions and wealth and punishing opposing parties financially or jailing or killing them if the financial disincentives don't work. But how in the first place does the whore secure the financial resources to accomplish these things? By grand and systematic larceny on a scale so vast as to be nearly inconceivable yet so well hidden by smoke and mirrors that it remains undetected by most of the victims. The story of organized theft by the whore begins with the money changers in the temple. Christ drove them out of the temple, but they re-emerged as the prototypes of modern banking in the 14th century in Venice and other Italian cities. There they invented double-entry bookkeeping, a misnomer, as it should be called double-speak bookkeeping, to hide their fraudulent practice of fractional reserve banking. The latter is a thinly disguised type of counterfeiting in which money is conjured up out of thin air and lent to people who are then required to pay it back with interest by performing actual labor. If they are unable to pay back the loan, they forfeit their collateral to the bank. The character of these merchants was portrayed in Shakespeare's The Merchant of Venice. From Italy, they branched out to England, where they established their private bank in 1694 and named it the Bank of England to make the English people think it was their country's bank. Through this bank, they arranged to loan the English government money that they would conjure up out of thin air and collect the principal and interest from taxes paid by the people. This arrangement, a license for a private party to print money out of thin air and loan it to the government, was accomplished by means of theft, bribery, and deceit, and if those means were not sufficient, murder. To ensure the continuity of this operation, they made government debt the backing for the money so that eliminating government debt would eliminate the money supply and destroy the economy. To promote government borrowing and keep the interest earnings flowing, these merchants, called international bankers today, or bankers for short, instigated wars between nations whenever and wherever possible and financed both sides. To ensure repayment, they carefully maintained a balance of power between warring factions and threatened to cut off funding to any side delinquent on repaying debt. When one side loses, the whore mops up so much of the wealth of that side and then starts another war. 
That is not to say there would be no wars without the war, but they would not be global and continuous as they are now because they are too expensive if paid for as you go with real money. In 1781, the bankers extended their operations to North America and named it the Bank of North America so North Americans would think it was their country's bank. It lasted only two years. Their next bank, started in 1791 and chartered for 20 years, was named the first bank of the United States, so citizens of the United States would think it was their country's bank. When Congress refused to renew its charter in 1811, the bankers commissioned Britain to attack America, and the War of 1812 commenced. After the British burned the American capital, Congress granted a charter to the bankers again in 1816. The bankers named it the Second Bank of the United States, so United States citizens would think it was their country's bank. When President Andrew Jackson refused to renew its charter, an attempt was made on his life in 1835 by one Richard Lawrence, who boasted that powerful parties in Europe had promised to shield him from prosecution. Though guilty of presiding over the criminal aggression against the South, Abraham Lincoln apparently still had some conscience and objected to the machinations of the money power and their plans to plunder the South after the war. He was assassinated on April 14, 1865, five days after Lee surrendered at Appomattox. In 1863, the National Banking Act was passed in order to fund the Union Army, and for the next 50 years, the country was subjected to the booms and busts inherent to fiat money and fractional reserve banking. After the severe recession of 1907, the bankers decided they could steal even more wealth from the nation if they had a more centralized banking system. So in 1913, they created a powerful central bank and called it the Federal Reserve System so the people would think it was a federal agency had reserves, that is, was safe, and was a system, not a central bank. To ensure there would be enough taxes collected to pay the interest on the money they loaned to the government, they lobbied Congress to implement an income tax, and then, to ensure the government would have to borrow lots of their counterfeit money, they started a world war. They proceeded to inflate the money supply for 13 years and then deflated it in 1929, this resulted in the bankruptcy of half the country and allowed the bankers to foreclose on many properties and buy up many other assets for pennies on the dollar. Business declined during the Great Depression of the 1930s. People became angry with the bankers to divert attention from themselves and confiscate even more wealth. The bankers started another war, world war in the late 30s. The two world wars of the 20th century were so profitable for the bankers that their policy has been non-stop warfare ever since. Following the Second World War, they established the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, and the central bank for all their other central banks called the Bank for International Settlements in Basel, Switzerland, which coordinate and streamline their worldwide plunder utilizing assassins and militaries as collection agencies. Christians are being impoverished and enslaved by the satanic horror system. Slowly but surely, through the booms and busts, 
small family businesses and farms are bankrupted and taken over by the global crime syndicate which is hidden behind giant corporations, foundations, and trusts. Family farms and ranches that could provide more employment and healthier food are driven out of business by a fraudulent money system that requires almost all small businesses to operate on debt. Inheritance taxes make it impossible for most families to pass on very much wealth to their heirs. Manufacturing jobs have been shipped overseas and many young Americans entering adulthood cannot earn enough to start a family. 18th century American preachers preached against tyranny and exhorted their congregations to fight. That's why the colonists won. 21st century preachers are not preaching that way. That's why we're losing. 21st century preachers are teaching people to contemplate their navels or to go save people on other continents while their own country is collapsing before their eyes. If God has called you to go to save another country, then go. But if not, then work to save your own country and a future for your posterity. Why the change? Why aren't 21st century preachers preaching the same way their 18th century predecessors did? In 18th century America, religion gave birth to prosperity, and in the 19th century, the daughter killed the mother. Sin and unbelief crept into New England in the form of Unitarianism, a product of pride and rationalism, while the leaven of the Pharisees continued to leaven one field after another from political theory and psychology to science and theology.